One thing about mama, she is going to make sure that everyone else is taken care of before she even thinks about treating herself. So if you are looking for the perfect gift to make mom feel special this Mother's Day, make sure you check out the Mega Moisture Duo from Osea Malibu because body care is self-care. Since 1996, Osea has been making clean, clinically proven, seaweed-infused skincare. So this Mother's Day, treat mom to the everyday spa experience she deserves. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GSPP at OseaMalibu.com. Plus, you'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use code GSPP for 10% off. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Come on, let's work. You can wish for it, or you can work for it. You gotta work for greatness. If you ain't working, you should be working. Let's work. These are the confessions of a workaholic. Welcome to Confessions of a Workaholic, where we share the success secrets of fearless female entrepreneurs who are obsessed with success. This is your girl, Coriel, and you are totally in for a treat because you get to hear from a real girl boss that is changing the game. This episode is brought to you by the Brunch Hunch app. This is my new favorite app because it has totally eliminated the need for me to search for the best brunches whenever I travel. It is seriously a lifesaver with listings here in the U.S. as well as internationally, and plus it is totally free. Y'all know how I feel about supporting our Black-owned businesses, so definitely make sure you head over to the App Store on Google Play as well as iTunes to download it now. Their IG is Hunter, the number four, Brunch. Hunter for Brunch. Support them. It's a small business. They are today's sponsor, and I'm super excited to be able to introduce them to all of my listeners. Now, today we are talking to Melissa Butler, the CEO and creator of Lip Bar, a non-toxic, vegan, and cruelty-free line of colorful lipsticks that you can find in a Target store near you. Melissa, are you ready to confess? Hey, girl. Hey, I'm ready to confess. Thank you for having me. <laughs> she is ready. Okay, so before we talk about your career, 
I know that you are a fellow HBCU alumni. Um, you are probably literally like the 10th Rattler that I've had on the show. So I want to start there um, and just talk about why, <laughs> why it was important for you to attend um, an HBCU. So, you know what, this is so, why it's so magical going to an HBCU, because even if you think you know, you don't really know the the impact that it's going to have on your life until after you're gone. So I'm from Detroit. Detroit is, you know, it's 80% Black. Um, it's changing right now. Gentrification is happening. Um, some things are good. Some things aren't good. But I come from a city where I was just always surrounded by black people. I went to Cass. If you know anyone from Detroit um, who left Detroit, they probably either went to Cass or King. So I went to Cass. Yeah, I think the guy who went to Cass. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everybody went to Cass. <laughs> and Cass was like that, that like magnet school that you have to test in to get into and then keep your grades up. And like with that being said, I was completely surrounded by black excellence. And so after high school, it's like, okay, well, you know, I guess I'm going to go to a school and I want to have fun. And I went on a black college tour. And my freshman year, a lot of people don't know is my freshman year, I actually went to Alabama State. I don't think I've ever actually publicly said this because I'd be claiming Sam you so hard. Um, but yeah, my, my freshman year, I went to Alabama State. And no shade to Alabama State. It just wasn't for me. Um, because I'm, I'm from Detroit and Detroit is, you know, I was like a little, I was, I was an interesting little girl. Okay. Um, so I was, I was used to, you know, being in a faster lifestyle. And so going down to Montgomery, Alabama was a little too slow for me. So I decided to transfer and I went to FAMU, um, and literally it was a life changing experience. And I think the beautiful thing about HBCUs is that not only are you around your people and you don't have to feel like you're a part of this marginalized population, but it really teaches you like how to operate in the world. A lot of people have the misconception that, you know, if you go to an HBCU, that you don't know how to operate in the world because the world isn't all black. Well, it's the complete opposite of that because at an HBCU, they're reminding you consistently, hey, this is not the real world. And when you get out there, you need to be 10 times better. You need to work, you know, twice as hard. You need to do this. So it really teaches you to have like this level of confidence that says like, you know what, I'm unstoppable and I'm willing to do the work. So, you know, that's what, what going to HBCU did for me. And a lot of times people ask like, you know, well, because I came from a Wall Street background, it's like, oh, well, you know, how did your Wall Street background prepare you in, in owning your own business? And I'm like, ah, really going to fan you prepared me. Becoming a Delta prepared me. Like going to Wall Street just really taught me to not be afraid of numbers. But but fan you and becoming a Delta really prepped me on what hard work and, and ethics looked like. So many important life skills are learned in college. And I just think that that is just multiplied times 10 when it's a black college, when you get to see that black excellence and when you see that you can fit into that puzzle. I think a lot of times, and, and I went to Tennessee State University. Let me just um, plug that in there because my family, listen, y'all family people don't play around, okay? I mean, I, want, I wanted to ask you that first. Because I figured throughout the conversation you were going to end up mentioning it anyway. So I figured we should just get that out of the way. But going to any, 
any HBCU definitely sets you up for, you know, for success because you can see success. Like you see other people who look like you doing amazing things and you feel like, okay, that's possible for me. I grew up in a suburb of Chicago. You know, I, it was a majority Caucasian schools that I went to. And so I knew that, you know, when I got out of high school, I'm like, if I have a choice, I'm going to choose my people. Like when it's up to me, I'm going to choose them. Yeah. I was tired feeling like, you know, the, the one in the crowd. And when you spend so much time being the one black girl in this class or the one black girl on the team or the one black girl, Absolutely. you know, doing that, you start to feel some type of way, even if it's not um, noticeable, even if it's a subconscious thing, you notice those differences. So I'm always, yeah. always advocating for HBCU. So thank you for sharing that. I love, love, of love. Of course, it. of course. I, lo- I have love. so much HBCU love. So yeah, group hug. So, so <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Wall Street. What was that time in your life like? Um, and, and what was the transition like? Because Wall Street is like, you know, you hear Wall Street and that's like the top of the top when it comes to business, right? That's what we think of. Like once you get got to Wall Street, like there there is no more success. Like that is like it. You've made it, right? But you transitioned. You walked away from that. So tell me like what that time in your life was like and how you dealt with like the doubts and the fears of other people. Well, to start, you're always going to have doubts, especially as an entrepreneur like, you know, the lip bar is getting some traction and some success right now, but I'm still having moments of self-doubt. And so, you know, you literally have to make a decision to climb out of that space and then to believe in the value that you can add and translate to the world. And so at that time, like I graduated from college in 2008 and like that was like the height of our economic downturn. And I went to work for Barclays who had just uh, bought Lehman Brothers. Lehman Brothers had literally just closed its door. And so at that point, I was pretty much lucky that I had a job because the financial industry was frozen. So it's like, okay, at first I'm like feeling special. Like, you know what? I got a job. I got a job on Wall Street when like Wall Street is literally on fire. Um, and so I, I very quickly learned that it... <laughs> It's interesting that you you position it as people thinking that it's the top of the top because it's 100% right. Because when I decided to walk away from that, my family thought that I was absolutely insane. But what people don't tell you about these these corporate atmospheres is that oftentimes, especially when you're at an entry-level position, you're not actually really learning or growing. You're really just doing the day-to-day operations. You're not really taking risks. And then after you learn your role, after about six months, you're probably not even thinking. So at that time, I was in in this place where it's like, you know what? I didn't gave Sally Mae all this money. I have spent so much time, you know, developing my personal growth and my personal, you know, my best self to, to sit here behind this desk and to spit out Excel spreadsheets that I don't even really know the why behind what I'm doing. And so when you think about like the older generation, they talk about how millennials, you know, we're not loyal and how we, um, we think we know everything. No, we're just bored. So at that time in my life, I was bored and I saw what my future could be. I saw my coworkers, you know, being miserable. I saw, you know, what Melissa could be in 20 years if she decided to climb this particular ladder. And I was just like, you know what? Why not just build my own? 
So at least I know the direction of my future. At least I know why I'm doing what I'm doing and I can be passionate about it. Problem was, I had no idea what I was passionate about. Um, and I always share this with, with people, like I'm not passionate about makeup particularly, but I am passionate about challenging the way people think about beauty um, for themselves and then ultimately extending that to their neighbor, to their sister, their cousin, to their mother, et cetera. And so when I thought about beauty and I thought about me taking this holistic approach to my lifestyle, it was like, okay, well, beauty is a really it's I was gonna say a, a curse word. Um I'm trying to be PG oh, on your podcast. Yeah, we write it out here. <laughs> you can say what you want to say. But yeah, I was noticing like the beauty industry in that like it basically just made women feel shitty because it was always about transformation and not like transforming from within. It was always like you need to buy this product and this product in order to look like this. So we were pushing, and by we, I mean like the beauty industry. The beauty industry was pushing women to say, hey, in order to be accepted by, by society as a whole, as a beautiful person, as a beautiful woman, as a beautiful human being, you need to look like this particular thing. And so, you know, I was just like, that's complete and utter bullshit, especially as a black woman, because we're, we've never fit into like that traditional beauty standard. But I even saw how like white women were being marginalized in that category. And I'm like, well, why the fuck are we following someone else's rule book as it relates to like how we feel about ourselves? Because when you think about a person's self-esteem, especially a woman's self-esteem, oftentimes um, that character is defined by how a woman looks. You know, it's been it's been known for many, many years, you know, all the way back to like slavery, like the person who is more attractive or that person who um, has that that fair skin gets gets better perks. So it's like we were we as women were clawing and trying to become something that we weren't in order to get this acceptance from society. And when I started to think about like why that was happening, it really came down to the fact that there was no outside representation of what beauty was. We were just literally like being fed by a dictatorship that said beauty and whether that was in, you know, our community or someone else's community and our community firsthand in Detroit, I witnessed, you know, being light skinned with long hair was the standard of beauty. And if you weren't that, you might not get no numbers. You might go to the skating rink and boys might not look at you, you know? So it was just like things, things like that started really resonating with me. And like, I started remembering all of these experiences that I, experiences that I had or people around me had. And I was just like, why, why are we still in this, this wheel? Like, why are we still spinning and going on this track? And so I decided that instead of complaining about it, I would shift the culture of beauty and challenge that beauty standard. So, you know, started making lipstick in my kitchen. Did not know how to make lipstick in my kitchen. Read a ton of books, you know, reached out to cosmetic chemists. And and obviously I wasn't equipped to do that, but I think a big part of being an entrepreneur is just starting. So it's like I started, I failed. I probably made a thousand batches of lipstick before I got to one that was okay. Um, and yeah, just just really decided to never look back because I believed so strongly in challenging um, the way we thought about beauty. So I approach beauty from um, not from the standpoint of like transforming from the outside. It's like I want to transform your mind 
to make you believe in yourself and remind you that you are enough. And so, yeah, that's, that's what keeps me going. So let's talk about the fear of the unknown, because even once you realize your passion or you discover your life's purpose, when you don't know, that can be scary. Like when you go from having that guaranteed paycheck that you know is going to be this dollar amount down to the penny to having to create your own paycheck or create your own income, that can be pretty scary when you don't have, you know, the background to do it or the certain skill set that you think you need. Do you ever remember a time where you felt like you might have made the wrong decision or you might have failed in a way um, and it actually ended up working out in your favor? Um, Well, yes, I fail all the time. Um, like literally something goes wrong or I am not as capable as I'd like to be in in some scenarios. For instance, like fundraising is a really big thing. We just officially um, closed on our first fund, like our, our first real fundraising round. But it's like I pitched to probably a thousand VCs. No, I'm exaggerating, but probably like probably like 60, 70 VCs in the last year because like we were at this inflection point where it's like, okay, the lip bar is growing. The lip bar now has traction. The lip bar now has a retail partner. And now we're about to officially go into stores. Like how do we make this work? Um, So I was like, okay, well, you know, like literally on, on this, this roadmap to like, okay, well, what does funding look like? Do I raise, do I raise, um, funds through equity, which is, if you guys don't know, equity is when someone believes in your business so much that they're willing to invest in you for a percentage of your company to get paid on the back end, which is either when you're like rolling in the dough or when you sell the company. So I'm like, well, you know, do I do an equity round? Do I go and try to get a traditional bank loan? Um, So I just literally started testing out all of the things that I could do. And like, literally, I was pitching to different um, investors, like sometimes like three times a day and just failing, falling flat on my face. But it really ended up working out because now I have the best possible partner that I could have. And it's like all of that prepared me so that when I got in front of this person, I know exactly what to do. Like, I mean, if you think about like fundraising um, and like, this is something that our community, I think we romanticize the idea of of fundraising, but no one is really putting the education or the information out on like what it means to launch in a retail partner or what it means to get an investor in your business. It's like you hear people fundraise, but you don't really know what that looks like. And so like me coming from a finance background, I also did not know what that looked like. And that was extremely frustrating to me because it's like, shouldn't I know this shit? And it's like, if I don't know, I know a lot of people in our community don't know it, which is a shame considering the rate in which we're opening and starting businesses. So, yeah, I mean, I fell flat on my face trying to fundraise and then it really worked out because we ended up, you know, partnering with the best possible strategic partner. And I so, so believe that everything happens at the right time. Like you cannot rush it. When you rush it, it ain't right. And like you said, all of those times that that were a quote unquote failure or that you didn't get that yes, that was preparing you with all of the things and equipping you with all of the tools you needed to be able to get that yes. And as you can see, that yes ended up, you know, working out the best possible way that it could. But speaking of fundraising, 
you know, we got to talk about these haters on Shark Tank, right? Like we got to talk <laughs> about what they did to your girl on Shark Tank. Now, if y'all have not seen Melissa on Shark Tank, go Google it. Melissa Butler, the lip bar Shark Tank. You can find the clip. Um, but they were definitely some haters. How did you manage? Because aside from them just being haters, what you dealt with, I feel like is something that a lot of entrepreneurs, even if it's not in that space, even if it's not, you know, pitching yourself, we deal with a lot of rude comments, a lot of people who don't get what we have, you know, don't see the vision, a lot of people who don't understand our purpose or why we're passionate. And you just had to do it, unfortunately, in a public, in a public way. How did you manage to maintain your decorum? Like, how did you not have a stank face? How did you not have a rebuttal? Like, <laughs> Seriously, because just as someone, you know, it's like that whole, like, I'm an artist and I'm passionate about my shit. Like, this is my baby. You know, like, I birthed this yeah. business. So to hear someone say the things that they said, how did you just maintain? How? So Shark Tank was really a blessing for us. And, and like, I'm so happy that it happened. And I don't wish it would have gone any other way. It was, it was a blessing for so many reasons. Number one, the reality is in real life, we weren't ready for an investor. And that's an, another tough thing to like, to understand. It's like, again, we, we talk about fundraising, we talk about investors and we think about, you know, I just need this money to grow my business. But sometimes you don't need the money. Sometimes you need a better vision. Sometimes you need a better plan. And I'm not saying that that's what, um, what Shark Tank was even saying, because when we went on the show, I was actually extremely frustrated with them because they almost treated our business like it wasn't a business, like it was a hobby. So I'm a numbers girl and I'm waiting on them to like want to talk through my numbers. They didn't even ask about our numbers. So what you saw was like eight minutes, but we actually pitched to them for like an hour. And to be quite honest, I don't know what faces I was making like when they made crazy comments because it's edited. So it's not scripted TV in a sense that they know what we're going to say or we know what they're going to say, but they edit the hell out of that show. So I was watching it like, I don't remember making that face on that part. And so in that moment when they were being cruel or just rude or just dismissive, um, I had to remember that Shark Tank is a business. More importantly, it is a reality show. So they are there to get ratings and I am there to air so that I can get brand awareness. 7 million people watched that show and they've re-aired our episode like 16 or 17 times. So it's like, if I would have acted a complete fool, if I would have like just brought like Eastside Melissa from Detroit out on them, then I, the episode would have certainly aired, but I would have been on there looking like a jackass. And it's like, well, that's not how I wanted the world to perceive me, to perceive my business. So I had to look at it from a transactional perspective and say like, okay, well, you know, I understand that this is reality TV. I also understand that this is what they need to do in order to get ratings. You know, Simon Cowell coined that like the jerk behavior on TV for ratings. I'm like, okay, I get that. And so you know, I have to not take this personally, even though it is my business, even though it's my first, you know, it's my baby, even though it's my life savings. It's like, it's fine. Get what you came there for. And so that's exactly what we did. And, you know, Shark Tank proved to be like, I mean, it was, it was really proof of concept for us because that night we got like 30,000 hits to our website over the next couple of weeks, another like hundred thirty or 150,000 people came to the site. We were able to convert like 4% of them. Like it was crazy. And so 
there was no better, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There was no better moment to say like, this was worth it than when we were in our lit bar truck. So when we were on the show, we pitched the idea of the lit bar truck because while I didn't realize that we weren't ready for funding, I did realize that we weren't ready for retail yet, but lipstick is super intimate. It goes on your face. So people want to know what it looks like. And we were selling lipstick online. So it's like, okay, well, how do we get the product into the hands of our consumer? And so we built out this lip bar truck and literally converted like a shuttle bus, like mirrors, displays, really cool. Went on tour. I was Beyonce for like six months. It was great. My skin broke out, whatever. It was cool. Um, <laughs> went on tour. I was on the New Jersey Turnpike and I pulled up to the toll booth and a lady is looking at the truck because the truck is like super decorated. It's like lips all over it. I mean, it's cute. It's a, it's a moment. You look at it, it's going to like turn your head and be like, wait, what is this? And so I'm driving it. I'm five two. The truck is like 26, 26 feet long. And the lady just keeps looking at me, looking at the truck. And she's like, oh my God, I saw you on Shark Tank, you know, pulls out our purple rain, which is our very first lipstick, pulls out purple rain out of her purse. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, and so that was that moment that was just like, you know, they laughed at this idea and said that it was horrible, that it was a horrible idea. They laughed at the idea of us having these brightly colored lipsticks. But now, you know, 2018, you see like um, Benefit Cosmetics has a truck, Kylie has a truck, um, you know, the big companies like Maybelline and MAC, they're like creating purples and blue and green lipsticks. And it's like, it just reminds me that I was ahead of the curve. And so like, as a small business owner, you have to understand that there's so much power in you being nimble and you being able to move and you being that decision maker and not having to go through like hoops and loops. Now, you may have to get creative with how you finance it. You may have to get super resourceful, but that's fine because that's also your strength. So, I mean, I, I'm so happy that Shark Tank worked out exactly how it worked out um, because it gave me like a really strong foundation to just be like, Nah, I hear you, but nah, that ain't for me. Nah, I don't need you. Cause I'm not about to allow, allow you to be, to have the power over like my reality, over my business, over, over my life. Listen, Shark Tank teaches you so many business principles. Like for everybody listening out there, if you have not made it a habit to just tune into Shark Tank, you learn so much about how to prepare. One thing that you mentioned um, in that you didn't realize before you went that you weren't really ready for an investor, you weren't ready for funding. That is even like a profound lesson to walk away with. Um, you know, a lot of times they talk to business owners about how they could literally go out of business if they were grow too fast you know so we think like being in retail mm -hmm. is the way to go but you know yeah. you know you weren't ready I think, I think we forget that starbucks almost went out of business like starbucks like grew very quickly like too fast too soon they had so many locations i think like two years after they opened all those locations they had to close like 40 percent of them now they're like they've bounced back but yeah you can't grow you can't take on too much too soon like it's a nice idea it's, an, it's nice in theory but unless you're actually able to deliver and to execute um, at scale, then it's like, you're going to be in trouble. So 
I got to ask about retail then, because a lot of us as entrepreneurs, and I don't necessarily have a product that, you know, I would be trying to get in stores today, who knows what's coming down the pipeline, but that's not necessarily like a goal of mine to be in retail. But a lot of people who have boutiques or who, you know, have, have manufactured products, they have high hopes of being in retail. That's like their end all be all. That's their goal. That's their dream. Now that you have experience doing it both ways, like doing online sales, doing the truck, doing retail, now you're in Target. What is your, um, not necessarily your advice for other entrepreneurs, but just based on your own experience, what would you say is like the less stressful or the most profitable or like which, which of those kind of arenas do you prefer, online, the truck, or retail? There, there's no right way to eat a Reese's. <laughs> But that that's a real thing. So it's like I mean, there's no wrong way to eat a Reese's. And so that really just means like you can you can take one angle, you can take all the angles. You just really have to understand like what your goals are. And so when I thought about the lip bar and makeup and it being that very intimate purchase, you know, I wanted it to be like this tangible experience, this one-on-one interaction. But if it's going to be that one-on-one interaction, unless you plan on opening stores all across the country, which is crazy expensive, and I don't recommend anyone do that, um, that means you're going to have to share your profit margin. So, you know, if you go direct to consumer, which is like through your e-commerce website, it's like you get to keep all of your money. You just have to do all of the marketing. So if you go into a retail partner, like, you know, a Walmart or Walgreens or Target, you know, they're buying products from you, but they're buying at a wholesale rate. So you're not keeping anywhere near your margin that you have on your website. But the trade-off is that you get that visibility at shelf. You get people to walk by and if they've never seen your brand, you know, to take a first glance at it. Now, the reality is most people won't buy a brand that they've never seen on a retail shelf. They're going to go to something that they're more comfortable with. So marketing comes into play from both angles. and yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a, a right or a wrong way. It really just depends on like, you know, how healthy your profit margins are, what your goals are. There are tons of cosmetic companies that never go to retail and they do just fine. Um, so yeah, it, it really just depends on your goals, your customer, um, your margins, you know, the unit economics of the business and if it can support retail because retail is expensive. Like, Retail is serious. It, it is expensive. There, you definitely got to pay to play. No joke. It's no joke. But I think just um, learning from the experiences of other people, which is why I love being able to have this platform where we can talk about what's really going on. Because retail sounds like that is where it's at. And it might be, but that's not something that you can just jump out the gate you know, jumping into. And I love the way that you were able to test the market and do it step by step. You weren't trying to jump out the gate and go into Target. Like you, you baby stepped your way. You Beyonce toured your way into Target and it worked out. It worked out for you. Um, Okay, so this is my last question. And I think that this, this answer is going to be super helpful for a lot of my listeners, because I think that one thing that holds so many people back, aside from, you know, thinking that they got to have all the answers, and they're just afraid to get started. One thing that I hear a lot is, I'm scared to start this business because it's in a quote unquote, saturated industry. And now the beauty Mm -hmm. industry is one industry that is, well, every industry is saturated. 
saturated in 2018. Every industry is saturated. So what do you say to entrepreneurs who are scared to start a business because the industry may be saturated or because they don't think that they can make a mark in that industry? Well, I don't believe in saturated markets. I was just actually sharing this on a, on a panel this past weekend. Um, I don't believe in saturated markets. Like, obviously, there's a ton of competition. But what I do believe in, in is segmentation. And so if there is a pool of, you know, of people looking for lipstick, for example, um, I'm not, in reality, I'm not going to be able to speak the language of all of those people. And that's fine. And I should not try because I would waste marketing, energy, effort, dollars, all that jazz trying to reach this broader audience. So as opposed to thinking about business and this, this saturation or from this saturation perspective, I would challenge you to, to rethink and, and retool your brain to say like, okay, this industry is saturated because the market share or the market size of it is ginormous. Like the beauty industry is like, I don't know, like $50 billion a year. It's, it's insane. And so when I hear that number, and then I also think about all the beauty players, it makes sense because everybody wants a piece of that pie. Now you have to be willing to take the risk to say like, I am, I can get some of that pie, like, but I'm going to do it by reaching out to this customer who isn't being served, or I'm going to do it by speaking this language that isn't being spoken or resonating with this particular segment of the audience who feels like they've never had someone actually connect to them. So don't think about it from, you know, there's so many players in the market. So what? But are any of them doing exactly what you want to do? Are any of them targeting your exact audience? Are any of them targeting your audience in the way that you want to target them? And just think about it like that. Like there's 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 plenty of money out here. There's plenty of room. And yes, there is plenty plenty of competition. But it's like you just can't be you can't be afraid. Melissa, I have truly, truly enjoyed this conversation, and I know that my ladies appreciate all of these gems that you have been dropping. Please let them know where they can find you online and how they can connect with you on social media. Yeah, um, well, obviously, you can check out The Lip Bar at thelipbar.com at a Target near you. Um, everything is The Lip Bar, all of our Instagram, Facebook. And then I, my personal page, because I just started like putting myself out there, y'all, it's a, it's a scary place. Um, I am Melissa R. Butler on Instagram, and that is also my website, Melissa R. Butler. So, yeah, follow me, stay tuned, and, and I'll see you guys soon. This has been another game-changing episode of Confessions of a Workaholic, meant to empower and encourage you to get that ass to work. You already have everything you need to get everything you want if you are willing to do what it takes. I love you. See you next week. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. 
You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life altering. And if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.